21st century. I'm Stacey Epstein, CEO of Zinc, and today I'm struggling a little bit with a cold, <laughs> so my voice is a little off, but I'm excited to have our most recent guest, Doug Landis, who is the growth partner at Emergence Capital, formerly chief storyteller at Box, and before that, Doug was responsible for sales productivity at Salesforce. I have personally known Doug for jeez, jeez, a long ten, time, ten more than 10 more, years, yeah, totally. I feel like. Um, so it, it's fun for me to have a friend that now I get to work with, and um, I've certainly watched and admired your success and achievements over the years, so I'm excited to have you on our show today. Thank Welcome. You. Thank and uh, I'd love to start by you just telling a little bit about yourself and your career and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, uh, luck. A little bit of luck. <laughs> no. And uh, a little bit of luck and a lot of long hours. Um, yeah, interesting. I've had a really interesting journey to get here. Um, you know, as an operator for the last 15, 18 years, what that means is basically I was on the other side of the table. I was on your side of the table, and now all of a sudden I'm on the venture side, which is really interesting. Um, it's a blast, but I never really thought that transition could happen. Um, I, you know, I, at, at the core, I'm a seller. I have been in sales my whole life, ever since I started a paper route when I was, you know, just a wee lad on my bike in the middle of the night. Um, to like all throughout college, I was in sales, whether it was like selling all those um, tchotchkes and you know, like t shirts for your fraternities and sororities. Uh, when I got out, I, I went straight into sales. I was actually selling for Black and Decker. Oh boy. Yeah, good old power tools. Nice. I worked construction growing up too, so it kind of fit. But um, growing up in Palo Alto, I had this need to get back into technology or to get into technology. And so I came back after living in Chicago and worked at Oracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a blast. I gotta, say, I gotta say, send your kids to go work at Oracle. It's the best training in the world, especially in terms of sales, because it's super hardcore and they teach you discipline. It's almost like the military a little bit. <laughs> it was brutal. Like we, we weren't making a hundred calls a day. We were, we were sweating it. Um, and then um, I actually then I got out and started my own technology company. Which is, oh, I don't didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that because it didn't work. I mean, it did. We raised three rounds of capital and you know had 20, 25 employees. Um, we were in exchange for nonprofit organizations to help them find funding from institutions like governments, uh, agencies, trusts, uh, foundations, because you know there's five, tens of thousands of nonprofits that don't really, they go to the same organizations to get their money. They don't realize that there are all these bigger institutions that they can raise capital from. So we were like a match.com for them. Um, but then the dot-com boost, you know, then everything collapsed and so did we. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I got back into it. Um, and then I was, I was super fortunate from there. I, I joined Google. I decided to make a shift and, and instead of selling, I wanted to focus more on helping sellers get smarter, better, faster at what they do because I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually really fulfilling for me. Um, I love closing deals and I love talking to customers, but also helping other people have that same experience and that success is is just more long-term fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from yeah, from Google, I went to Salesforce and then Box and here I am. Okay, great. Yeah. That's interesting and uh, <laughs> you know, we were, I don't think we ever met there, but I was at Oracle at the same time. Um, I was on the Alliance Society. Oh, no way. And I, I, I relate to what you say. I Sometimes I joke that I was raised by wolves. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. It you was, eat the, it you was eat a the great first oh, job. So good. Yeah. So good. I totally agree. Um, and then, you know, a lot, another similarity, which I think will be a good segue into the topic of the podcast, but 
I had a similar reason for going into marketing because I was in sales and um, I was always sitting in the marketing person's office saying, hey, we need the deck to do this. And we need, uh, you know, I have an idea for a campaign on right. how we can fill the pipeline. And right. I felt like I enjoyed the role of selling, but I kept wanting to be in marketing where I can help the whole sales team, yeah. right? So that's kind of how I found my way into yeah. marketing, which is, is um, leads us to part of what your title was at Vox, which was chief storyteller, <laughs> but also the topic of this podcast, which is communication. And, you know, the podcast is called Essential, and we're talking about communication being essential. And I think for, for sales and marketing and, and roles that you've helped, and I mean, your title at Box was Chief Storyteller. <laughs> and to me, that's all about communicating. You know, when you tell a story, you're trying to communicate something. So 100%. tell me a little bit more about that role. What did it evolve? I mean, obviously, you were working with Aaron, and I think... Box has been a great example of a great um, sales and marketing organization. So just tell us a little bit more yeah. about what does it mean to be a chief storyteller? It, it's also known as chief bullshit artist. Um, <laughs> no, no. The reality is this. So my job previous to chief storyteller, which was a title that I made up on my own and I convinced Aaron that it actually made sense. But my, my job, I was running um, sales productivity and enablement at Box, right? And so that function basically in my mind kind of sits between sales and marketing right we're our job is to translate all these marketing assets which are usually designed for the masses and make make sure that they're actually appropriate for the different segments of the sales organization and the different industries and the different personas that we're targeting and um so we spent our team spent a lot of time in this translation world right and so we became kind of the the um the the creators of the communication vehicle for, for both organizations. And one of the things that I notice, and now I see this all the time in organizations uh, that we work with, is you get this really, really bright CEO who's just an absolute mastermind, and he's speaking at 40,000 feet, right? Because he's a thought leader, and he's talking about things like we're thinking about, the market's thinking about three, four years ahead, right? Much like how when you talk about zinc, right? You're up there at the high level, getting people to imagine what's possible. It's what Mark Benioff does. Mm -hmm. But then you've got marketing and their job is to build assets and materials and decks that the sales organization then can use to go talk about kind of our value proposition and to get our customers engaged. And then you've got sales reps out there who of course then take all of this and they create the, what I call these Frankenstein decks, right? Mm -hmm. These decks which don't fit Right? They've got their old slides from a year ago or two years ago because they know how to talk to them and they haven't been updated. And, and yet they're still trying to say the same things that Aaron is saying without the credibility. And unfortunately, when you get a little bigger, marketing starts to create these little silos of product. Right, So you've got security and they've got their security deck and you've got the platform team and they've got their deck. And then you've got core and they've got their deck. And it's like, well, how do they all fit together? And what is that? What is the story that we're actually telling that actually that allows somebody to interchange different products um, and allows somebody to actually engage different levels of buyers in different industries and different segments? So um, I went to Aaron and he said, we have a real problem. Um, we, need, we need someone that's going to glue all that together. And the biggest piece that's often missing is what I call the last 20 yards, right? And this actually is, this is where you bring in customer success because um, often we talk about our customers as their company, mm -hmm. right? 
well, Cisco's a customer and you know, GE's a customer. Well, nobody can relate to Cisco as a company. Mm-hmm. No one can relate to GE as a company. But you know I can relate to? I can relate to Sue, the mid-level marketing manager that's actually in Atlanta who's divorced with two kids and has a cold, mm-hmm. right? And can't go into the office but still needs to get her work done. Mm-hmm. So people can connect with that. They can't connect with Cisco or Coca-Cola, the big, the big companies. And so what I was tasked to do is like, how do we get those real life stories from our customer success team and how do we then incorporate those into our marketing materials and to the greater story, right? And so how do we, and, and conversely, how do we flip everything upside down and make it more customer-centric rather than us-centric? And that's the biggest issue that, again, the second biggest issue that most companies face is it's all about me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. Like every, every company we work with, I, the first thing I do is I'm like, show me your first call deck. And I'm like, oh, no. And, you know, it's like the first slide is this is who we are. This is what we do. And look at our customers. And, and it doesn't, you know, the only person in the company that can actually lead with that kind of deck is the CEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have the credibility, right? Because right. that's your title. Right. Nobody else does. Yeah, it's easy easy to fall into that trap because especially in an early stage company, you're so busy trying to um, talk about what you do yes. and the value. Um, and But I agree, the best way to communicate what you do is to talk about what the impact is on people like your audience. Yeah. I remember one sort of pivotal year at ServiceMax, and it was the big sales kickoff, and we were rolling out a new deck. And, um, and, and the deck talked about this road to flawless field service, and what does it take to get there? But in the back half of the deck, we had like literally 30 slides that each one was a customer story. And it wasn't the typical before or after. Yeah. It was like a quote. And then in the notes, the whole story. And so right. like, if you didn't know the story, you couldn't deliver that slide. And then in addition to that, we had the, a deck of baseball cards. And it had each of those in on the front was the quote in the picture. And on the back of the baseball card was the story. Ooh, that's and smart. the idea was have it sitting at your desk. So when you're on the phone, it will remind you not to tell your story, to tell a customer yeah. story. So, but I mean, even here, it's like, it's easy to fall out of that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're young and early and we just want to tell our story, yeah. right? Yeah. So you got to constantly remind yourself that the you best know, way to communicate the value is in talking about what the value meant to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's like the... I think the best salespeople are salespeople who are sincere and empathetic. And the way in which you demonstrate your sincerity and empathy is to use the voice of someone else and to draw a correlation between that, right? And so um, using the voice of your own customer and really understanding what they were experiencing and now kind of the value that they're actually getting out of it is what people want to hear. I don't want to hear from you as a salesperson. I don't really give a shit because you're a salesperson and I don't trust you by default. But if you can help align what I'm going through with what somebody else just like me was going through, um, then I'll listen. Yeah, interesting. Um, Okay, so we've talked a lot about communicating to an external audience, in in our case, prospects, customers. Let's talk about internal communication. You've been at some really big companies. You had your own startup. Now you're at a VC firm, which is relatively pretty small compared to those companies. How do you observe the role of internal communication and, and um, how, you know, tell me some stories. Where does it work and where have you seen it stand in the way of progress? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
so a good buddy of mine, gentleman by the name of Stan Slap, wrote a book called uh, "Bury My Heart at Conference Room B." Um, <laughs> it's a crazy, interesting title. But he's his whole thesis is all around culture. And there's three different cultures in an organization, right? There's the company culture, there's um, there's uh, and then there's like employee culture, and then there's customer culture, mm-hmm. right? And the reality is this: like, as a manager, you know this. Like, there's certain things that you can share. You want to be as transparent as you possibly can, but there's certain things you just can't share with everybody, right? And so you're now at another level. You're in part of the management culture, and you've got your own culture. You guys talk to each other. You strategize. You know. You think long-term big picture and guess what the employees together they all have their own culture right they meet around the water cooler mm-hmm. and where things start to get um uncomfortable in the early days when you're small everybody's it's like it's an open book everybody's talking about everything right sick homes kids all that stuff right, right. the good the bad the warts, everything but as you start to get bigger you start to create layers right and then those layers start to create the different subcultures right and um, the challenge is, like, how do you balance being transparent but yet uh, also creating uh, kind of some, some boundaries, right, in terms of things that you can share. But what, I, what, I, what constantly happens when companies go through this hyper growth is they forget about that, right? They forget about the things that, like, as an employee, an individual, the one thing that matters the most to me is my job and being successful at my job. Mm-hmm. And anything that starts to sniff or smell like that may be at risk, I'm going to panic and you're never gonna get the right amount of work. You're not gonna get good work out of me because right. I'm worried about my job, yeah. right? And so it's like, I think what I, I, I often see is companies start to grow so fast they forget about that, right? And those layers just get thicker and thicker um, and people start to get uncomfortable and uneasy. When things are great, everyone's really happy. But the moment there starts to show some cracks in the foundation, people start to get really nervous. And um, that's where communication is so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of people in the very beginning, maybe they put their values up on the board, on the mm-hmm. wall, mm-hmm. and then you don't go back to them. And you don't reiterate like, hey, this is why we're all doing this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things too that we, we often do with our, our startups is like, we ask them like, what's your purpose? Why, are you, why do you exist as a business? Because if you don't know that, it's hard to get people to rally around why they come to work every day and what they do. Um, and so, I mean, communication is critical to all that, mm-hmm. right? Um, another example, you, when you start to go through this hyper growth, uh, you start to realize that there are a lot of roles in an organization that you don't even know. And it was so funny, <laughs> one of my previous companies, I won't talk about the name, but we literally brought the entire marketing organization to a sales all hands and everybody had to talk about what they did mm-hmm. because nobody in sales knew what the 400 people in marketing actually did. It's like, yeah. what do you do? Right. And what do you do for us? Yeah. Right. And it wasn't like from a, hey, everything's all about us, but it was more like, we just want to understand so we know who to work with and right. how to work who with you and how to, to get, how to engage and who to give feedback to, right? Um, and it's, it's super important. And then you lose that as you start to get yeah. bigger. Yeah. I just saw this morning, you may have seen it, but the, the list of the best places to work came out and Salesforce was number one. Again. 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 Um, and uh, I, I know you work there, but I have worked very closely there. And I think generally they have a lot of people with a lot of loyalty and longevity. Uh-huh. I also think there are examples where it can be a tough place to work. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. So what do you think it is about Salesforce and even Box that has bred this, like, it's a great place, I want to work there, I want to spend my entire career there. 
because uh, I know a lot of people that are have been there for decades yeah. and have no intention of leaving, which no, is why? rare yeah. for a valley. Company. Yeah, true. Um, leader. Mm-hmm. So like Mark Benioff and Aaron Levy are like when I first met Aaron. I was in Salesforce. Uh-huh. I wasn't planning on leaving. Uh-huh. And I met him and I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm going to work for him. I love this guy. I want to work. I will walk through walls for this person. And people feel the same way about Mark because they create an environment. They give you a sense of purpose. Uh-huh. We are here to change the world. Uh-huh. And they give you an environment that is super supportive. I mean, Mark is known, and I, I know firsthand, like if you have a serious family situation, uh-huh. he will use all of his power to make sure that you're taken care of. Uh-huh. Well, your, your kid, you, your family, whatever is, is supported. Remember, I was in India. I was in, I was in India when the bombing happened in Mumbai, and there was an alert like, "Hey, any Salesforce employee, get out of there." And he specifically was like, "Hey, I need to know everybody who's there. I want to make sure they're okay. Like, we'll get them on a private plane. Like, we will do whatever it takes to get them out of there." It's like that's the kind of company you want to work for because you yeah. feel supported, yeah. and of course, you have all the resources to go be successful, right? And it's almost like you, you. But here's what you lose sight of. You lose sight of the fact that you end up working seven days a week. Mm-hmm. You lose sight of the fact right. that like that becomes your entire life. Um, and it's not until you get out you realize like, whoa, I can have my weekends back. This yeah. is amazing, right? And yeah. so it's – but it, it's, it's super attractive though. Um, and it's also these rewards, like the best places to work, you feel so proud when you work there. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like, look where I work. And then you, you know, you're all over your social media and it just, it builds on itself. Yeah. I also think the giving co- component of it is, is a really big deal, right? The one 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 environment. Yeah. Um, Box has that, the Box.org uh, foundation. Um, so there's, there is a sense of, of, of giving a shit beyond what we just do yeah. day in and day out. I totally agree. In fact, being Valentine's week, it's love week here at Zinc. So if you on your way out, you should go over and we have um, hygiene kits that we're making for the homeless and oh, we made awesome. Valentine's cards for addicts in recovery. And that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're on a much smaller scale than what they can do, but it, you know, it makes a difference. I do agree that that matters to people. Um, we have a value here and, you know, I have to laugh because our values are all over our walls here. But one of them is that our family likes that we work here as much as we do. That's cool. And I do, um, I agree with you about the fact that you lose sight as to like how much you are giving to the job. Um, and I really aspire to be the kind of place where you can do both. You know, as a mom, yeah. like I'm, I'm not, I don't want to sacrifice being a good mom to being a CEO. And I think for generations of women who feel like, oh, okay, I got to check out now and go be a mom. Yeah. And that's why we don't have more women leaders. Um, I feel like if you can, um, if you can somehow help maintain that balance, then you get even happier yeah. employees. Yeah. Um, and of course you don't want to risk performance. I mean, there's no mistake that no mistaking that that top list are all pretty high performing companies. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. They're all it's true. They're also very diverse organizations. Yeah. Like statistically speaking, the more diverse your organization is, whether that's uh, gender or race, the actual, the better you will perform because you get better ideas. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting, like look at that list and look at the diversity quotient of all of those organizations yeah. and you'll see That's like true. Mark and Aaron are both very, very active in terms of making sure that they have a, a good balance. Now I would say, you could argue in the Valley, we do a pretty terrible job yeah. overall, but 
let's look at the top performers. Right. And that's, that's a part of it, right? I agree. I also think, um, and this also goes back to your, converse, your comment about communication throughout the organization and transparency, uh, you have to have those inspiring leaders going down the ranks, right? Yeah. It's not enough to have tens of thousands of employees feel inspired by Benioff. They've also got to be inspired by their division leader yeah. and their direct manager. And the more you can cultivate good, transparent, inspiring leaders down. I mean, I look at my own career where I worked for Lars, who was a very inspired leader at Success Factors. But I also worked alongside Dave Yarnold, who was arguably, you know, the number two most prominent leader in that organization. And then he went on to be a great, very successful CEO on his own. But um, I think it's not enough to just have a great leader at yeah. the top. You gotta, it goes toward communication, right? You have to get that leadership down yeah. through yeah. their ranks. You, you need to build a, a culture of it, right? And so what's interesting is, um, you know, as everybody says, you join companies but you leave your you leave managers yeah. right and so i and trust me like when i was at salesforce i love that place mm-hmm. but i found myself in a position where i'm like not really loving my job or my manager and guess what the timing just seems to be right because yeah. we were shifting into a different part of the organization and it was just like okay it's it's the right time yeah still love the company i mean it's still i still do i still am a fanboy of both salesforce yeah. and box as am i so now you're at emergence and you have the chance to see lots of different companies, big and small. What do you notice about leadership, communication, where are small companies doing it right that big companies can learn from them and vice versa, what can small companies be doing to get modeling from big companies and be more successful? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, most of our companies are series A, B stage companies that we get involved in. So in some cases, I mean, there are seven employees mm-hmm. Um, so communication there is actually pretty easy. Um, however, we continue to remind all of our founders that like, hey, these people right here, the 7, 10, 15 people that you have, they should be involved in almost every decision. They want to know. Um, for example, if you're out fundraising, like who are, you, who are you thinking about getting money from? And you should get them all involved. And one of the things that we try and do um, is we go when, during the due diligence process and we meet with the, everyone in the organization. It's not just about the founder CEO. We want to know everybody that's there and how can we help them build their careers and be successful and, and not just be that kind of interim role or function. Um, so it, I think it actually starts at the very, very beginning, building that culture of transparency and communication and caring, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of the best cultures I've ever seen in an organization is Sales Loft. Like these guys, Kyle has done such a great job of building a culture of caring um, and really sincere caring, not caring just for the sake of caring. And nobody ever wants to leave. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're just like, they're like Sales Loft tattoos in their arms. Right. And it started from the very beginning, and it all started from him and then his co-founder Rob, and they just they fundamentally, viscerally believe that, um, and they continue to communicate about it, and they share about it, and they 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 uh, they relish in it, um, and it's a big part of their DNA. So I think from the beginning, one of the things that we we look for is like, are you just a product? Mm-hmm. Right, or are you a building a company? Because mm-hmm. we're in the business of helping to build billion-dollar companies, um, iconic companies, mm-hmm. and um, it starts at the very, very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I would have to agree. 
Okay, so we've come to the fun final part of our podcast, the, the quick rapid response. So you, I'm going to ask you three multiple choice questions and you have to pick one. Great. Okay, first. Email will be dead or close to dead in A, two years, B, five years, or C, never. B. Five years. All right. That would be great. (laughs) I hope you're right. Okay, number two. You have to make a difficult call to a customer or you have to, you know, communicate something difficult to a customer. Do you A, send an email, B, pick up the phone and call them, C, send a text, or D, get a face-to-face meeting? Ideally, D, face-to-face, second call. If I know them really well, I might text them to set up a face-to-face or set up the phone call. Um, emails would be dead last. Yeah. Well, it's dead in five years. Yeah. Right. There bother, you go. Why right? bother? Uh, okay, last one. For happy, satisfied customers, how often should you check in with them? A, once a year, B, quarterly, C, monthly, D, more often than monthly. D, more often than monthly. Really? For yeah. a happy, satisfied customer? Absolutely. Do they get annoyed, though? Nope. I want to know why. Why are you satisfied? What can we do to make it better? I want to keep them in. I want to keep them in my inner circle. I want to help them. I want to use them to talk to other customers. I want to get them up on stage at our sales kickoff. I want. I want to. I want to nurture that relationship because guess what? We're going to be in this thing for the next ten to twenty years. So, yeah, at least in the beginning, more than once a month. I think that is probably one of the most um, counterintuitive things you've said today but I, I agree I feel like that those are those relationships are the most important ones that you can have and I think even even we don't do enough of it um, but cultivating and nurturing those the good ones are super important I will tell you this for early stage com- customers it or early stage companies it's actually more important to focus on customer success than it is on sales yeah because if you you know, if you got holes in the bucket, it doesn't matter how much water you're putting in the top, it's all going out the bottom, right? Um, and your customers, that is your lifeblood. They're the ones that are gonna tell you how much they're willing to pay, how much value they're getting out of it, and, and if you're on the right track. Yeah, it's like that classic sales manager interview question, like how much time do you spend with top performers, middle performers, yes. and low performers? And so many managers spend all their time on the low performers, and it's yeah. like, you just, you know, your top performer could be doing triple yeah. Right. If you just like even work with them more. So, well, it's been awesome having you <clears throat> as my cold is kicking up again. It's been awesome having you on the show. Great to be I here. hope you don't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Thanks for sitting in our little soundproof booth here at Zinc. And uh, I wish you the best of success. And we're psyched to be working with you now that you're out of emergence. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Daisy.